Notes on the Preparation and Engagement with the Eucharist Service by Alan Armstrong Before entering the sanctuary, one should prepare in the following manner. Fast for a minimum of five hours that the chemistry of the body may be quiet. Wash or bathe that the body may be clean and refreshed. Be silent and fix the attention within the inner world and establish the fourfold breath that the mind may relax. In following this procedure, the first steps are taken in heeding the advice given by the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. The ancient church compiles the liturgy from the text of the Bible that our spiritual endeavours may be expressed within the ethos of its teaching. And in the same vein, the use of vestments convey the sanctity of the Christian way of life, following in principle the instructions given to Moses concerning garments of glory. See Exodus verse 28 verse 2. The intention underlying the use of vestments and the procedure of vesting is essentially a means of identifying with the profound spiritual ideals they symbolise, thereby elevating human consciousness to the level of the ideal. The vesting procedure is designed to enable one to withdraw step by step from the influence of the instinctive nature, a process that is most effective when it is a conscious act. Thus, when the intention is clearly understood and every step clearly defined, the shift in awareness from the lower nature and the influence of the instincts to the awareness and influence of one's spiritual nature is more readily facilitated. The Invocation Every bona fide religious ceremony, regardless of the culture to which it belongs, commences with an invocation of the deity to whom the ceremony is dedicated. The words, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, constitute the invocation for all traditional Christian ceremonies. The Catholic Church considers the invocation to be a confession of faith in Christ crucified and an invocation of his blessing. Traditionally, no magical power is believed to be attached to it. However, when used with understanding and the correct intention, it readily becomes a sign and a vehicle of divine power. The invocation not only predicates all subsequent action within the confines of the ceremony, but to the wise it predicates all actions and events. All religious ceremonies have a spiritual basis that is essentially beyond the human will. Consequently, it is a contradiction in terms for the human will to become the causative power within the context of a religious ceremony by which one should understand that though it is possible for the will to become a vehicle or channel for divine providence, it is impossible for the will of its own devices and intentions to become the source of divine providence. This may seem simple enough, but it has far-reaching ramifications that will reveal themselves upon reflection. According to tradition, the invocation is established thus wise. First touch the forehead with the thumb and first two fingers joined together, saying at the same time in the name of the Father. Then trace a line downward to the heart centre and say and of the Son. 
then trace a line from shoulder to shoulder, saying whilst doing this, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. In saying in the name of the Father, we acknowledge the supreme nature of God, in whose name we undertake all subsequent acts. In saying, and of the Son, we recognize the Word of God, the Logos, or divine reason, emanating from God according to whose will we intend to conform. In saying, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen, we recognize the power, or Spirit of God, by which our actions are validated. The invocation has three fundamental components. The first, the recognition of and the identification with the triune nature of God. The second is the laying aside of the human will in the intention of acting in God's name. The third is in establishing the fiery cross of light in the sphere of sensation. The establishment of the cross in the sphere of sensation, in the name of God, imbues the cross with divine light, which radiates throughout the sphere, equilibrating the activities therein. Visualizing the tracing of the cross within the sphere as light emanating from the Father makes conscious the dynamics that are unreality taking place not by human will but according to divine providence. Note, the invocation is a statement of intention and applies to the tree of life thuswise, Ketha, Tifereth, Hochma, Bina. The Kabbalistic cross, however, is an affirmation of God's supremacy thus, Artemakuth, Vegadula, Vegabula, Lealam, Amen, which translates as, Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever unto the ages. Amen. It applies to the tree of life thuswise, Kethamalkuth, Gabura, Gadula. The significance of the difference should be contemplated. Purification. Purification consists of three parts. The first part is the sprinkling of all concerned with holy water, which is a mixture of pre-sanctified salt and water, the use of which frees all persons, places and things from the external influence of evil and corruption. Its efficaciousness is not to be underestimated. In using holy water, the sphere of sensation is washed clean of all images and impressions which have accumulated therein over the course of time. Its use also banishes from the sphere of sensation those parasitic creatures which feed upon it. Such creatures are at best elemental and at worst demonic. Neither are to be desired or wanted in the temple. Whereas the first part of the purification deals primarily with the sphere of sensation, which for the sake of discussion can be thought of as exterior, the second part, the confession, applies to the thinking principle at the root of which lies the primary sense of I and the power of volition, which again, for the sake of discussion, may be thought of as being interior. It must be understood that just as we have formed negative attachments to those things which are the objects of our fears, so too do we have negative attachments to unhealthy thought patterns. Such attachments are invariably generated out of our sense of guilt, which often induce fear, anger, paranoia, phobias, and a host of other negative emotions, 
and psychological problems. Thus the function of confession is to clear the conscience of guilt, thereby dissipating negative emotions and images which are present in the sphere of sensation. For this to be effective, true remorse is required, but true remorse demands the consciousness of error, without which there could be no modification of behaviour. Thus in confession, there is admission to both the notion of right and wrong, and to the nature of right and wrong action. Only then is it possible to rise above habitual and semi-conscious reactions to the demands of the instinctive nature, and to develop the necessary volition to act in accordance with divine law. The conscience thus purified can, and indeed will begin to function in its positive role of leading the individual into the divine light of spiritual consciousness, a process which is initiated by guiding the individual into the way of right action. The third part of purification is that of absolution, by which is meant the forgiveness of sin. It is taught that sin separates the sinner from God because the act of sinning is a rebellion against the authority of God, an authority which is fully expressed in divine law which essentially demands the observance of the natural order of things. For forgiveness to be efficacious, true remorse, combined with the intention to modify one's behaviour in accordance with divine law, is required. This is a conscious act of humility, the virtue of which reconciles the penitent with the divine, and in doing so invokes divine forgiveness, which is expressed through the priest in the act of absolution. Concerning Vestments The vestments generally used within the Holy Celtic Church are as follows. The cassock, which is a long black garment worn by all clerics and order members. Wearing it signifies the aspiration to control the demands of the carnal world and its appetites. It represents the humbling of the personality and as a symbol it denotes the tomb wherein one dies to the world. Those who choose to wear the cassock do not seek to glorify the nature of the body terrestrial, but aspire to give expression to the qualities of the body celestial. The alb is a long white garment that reaches from the neck to the ankles. It has long wide sleeves. Traditionally, it is understood to symbolise purity of heart but we understand it to represent the body of light, so purified that it is no longer influenced by the activities of the carnal nature. When the alb is placed over the cassock, the sphere of sensation is lit up like a brilliant white light, a condition rarely experienced by the soul during its incarnation. More often than not, it is held in enchantment by the images which dance in the sphere of sensation. Hence the prayer which is used while vesting, Place thou upon me, O Lord, the alp of purity, that I may be as white as snow. Of all vestments, least is said by the traditional sources about the stone. Yet it is the only vestment that can be used on its own for the administration of the sacraments or for the exercise of divine office. The key to understanding the symbolism 
and the purpose of the stole lies in the prayer which accompanies it whilst vesting. Place thou upon me the stole of immortality which I had with thee before the world was. This prayer recalls to our attention the reality of the immortality of the soul. The stole symbolizes our connection with the divine and bids us to remember that we are not of this world and that our time here is short, that it is not the body terrestrial which is our true nature, but the body celestial. Thus when we don the stole, we by intention identify with the divine principles that lie within. The girdle is a length of white cord or rope some 8 to 14 feet in length, at one end of which three knots are tied. Each knot represents one of the three vows, poverty, obedience and chastity, and the three virtues of faith, hope and charity. The cord represents the fixing of the will upon the divine, hence the vesting prayer, Girdle me about with thy strength and truth, O Lord, that no vibration of a lower frequency may enter my consciousness. The girdle symbolizes the silver cord, which connects the body of light to the physical body. By intention, the act of tying the girdle around the waist severes the influences of the lower lunar nature from the higher solar nature. The Chasuble The chasuble is the outermost garment worn by the priest when celebrating Mass. It represents the tent in which the Ark of the Covenant was kept by Israel during the years of wandering in the desert. The original shape of the chasuble, used by the early church, was circular, with a hole in the centre for inserting the head. It was then, as now, called the Little House. Metaphysically, it represents the inner temple, or tabernacle of the soul, in which reposes the divine light. Hence the prayer used when vesting, O Lord, put thou upon me the garment called the little house, that I may be housed in thy glory. Over the course of time, the design has changed, but the church has, in its use of beautiful fabrics, embellished with gold and other precious materials, continued to follow in spirit the instructions given to Moses and his people and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. See Exodus 28, verse 2. Ideally, the use of such materials should be both aesthetically pleasing and symbolically correct, that both the wearer and the observer may be aided in the contemplation of spiritual things. The chasuble with orphrey running in a column straight down the centre of both the back and front may be contemplated as representing the central pillar of equilibrium, whereupon the contrary forces of nature are brought into a state of harmony by the presence of the divine. The chasuble with the orphrey shaped into a Y may be understood to represent the Holy Trinity and the triune nature of the work, purification, sacrifice and regeneration. The chasuble with the orphrey shaped into a cross may be contemplated as symbolising the cross upon which the Christ was crucified, or as the four rivers flowing out of Eden, or as an expression of the harmony of the four holy animals. Whatever the symbolism used, it should always be succinct and clear.
Thank you.